welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dotson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on the Indiana Red Cross desperately seeking blood donors after declaring a blood crisis. The Indiana House voted to effectively block private companies from enforcing COVID-19 mandates. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Marcus Martin of Grace Beyond Borders, Northwest Indiana, an organization with a mission to provide physical and spiritual help to our homeless population. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Officials in St. John are considering a possible riverfront district designation for a stretch of vacant land about 25 acres on the west side of US 41 to attract restaurants and other developments. The Times reports the town council was told during a meeting that the businesses could include restaurants with outdoor dining, a banquet hall, and possibly a boutique hotel. But more liquor licenses are needed, according to one town councilman. The number of liquor licenses in each municipality is determined by the state based on population. Town Councilman Mike Aurelio said St. John is out of those licenses, meaning the only way new restaurants can obtain them is by purchasing them from other businesses at prices as high as $500,000. However, if the area were to be declared a riverfront district, Aurelio said liquor licenses would be unlimited and would cost a standard price of $1,000. Creating a riverfront district would allow for more local restaurants and the new businesses could even be topped with office space. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Indiana House voted Tuesday to effectively block private companies from enforcing COVID-19 mandates. The measure says businesses have to grant exemptions from getting the vaccine from employees who request them on a medical or religious basis or who have contracted the virus within six months. The bill's author, Representative Matt Lehman, says the choice to get a COVID vaccine should be up to the individual. I get calls and they're crying. I don't know what the future holds. Help me. Because I, I really want to, to, to not get this vaccination. My employers tell me I have to. I need some protections. But Democratic Representative Ed Delaney says the bill is justifying the anger of a few at the expense of many. This attack is led by those who proclaim their love and devotion to the private sector. Leave the businesses alone. If you can't help them, leave them alone. The measure also says if someone is fired even after requesting a COVID vaccine exemption, they can receive unemployment benefits. The bill now heads to the Senate. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Indiana Red Cross is desperately seeking blood donors after declaring a blood crisis. 
The limited blood stores are causing doctors to make tough calls about who can receive life-saving transfusions. Donations can be given at multiple locations across the region and the state, including at Purdue University. Purdue has joined a friendly competition against other Big Ten schools to collect for the American Red Cross. For more information, you can visit redcrossblood.org. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The governor and the legislature are at odds again over executive powers. Network Indiana's Eric Berman reports. The House could vote this week on a bill capping executive orders at six months unless the legislature extends them. The bill also sets a six-month limit on emergency rules by state agencies and a four-year expiration for other regulations. Governor Holcomb says the bill raises concerns. There's a lot of bills out there swirling around, this being one of them, that could very easily have an adverse impact on administering state government and our and our duty. The House committee approved the bill on party lines, but Speaker Todd Houston was terse when asked about the proposal saying leaders will be taking a look at it. Eric Berman, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Indiana Senate will no longer consider a controversial school curriculum and transparency bill. Senate Bill 1-67 was the subject of a nearly eight-hour public hearing during the Senate Education Committee's first meeting this year. The bill would have required schools to create parent-led curriculum review committees. It would have also placed restrictions about how teachers talk about issues like race, religion, and politics. But in an email statement sent last Friday, Senate President Pro Tem Roderick Bray said members of his caucus, quote, have determined there is no path forward, end quote, for the bill and that it will no longer be considered. The announcement comes after a House committee made changes to and advanced its version of the bill earlier last week. It's unclear what the Senate's decision means for the future of that bill. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. What do you want in a senator? Network Indiana's Chris Davis reports on Democratic Mayor of Hammond Tom McDermott's promise in his run against Republican Senator Todd Young. McDermott once challenged Young to a celebrity wrestling match, but says Young is not a bad guy. He just thinks Young is out of touch. He praises the president for his handling of the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that everything that the president comes up with, I'm lockstep with because I'm not. I mean, I'm an individual. I'm very conservative and I, I'm going to bring my own style to the U.S. Senate. Audio from Wish TV's All Indiana Politics, where McDermott says he is against vaccine mandates, but is in favor of removing the filibuster in the U.S. Senate making a simple majority vote possible. Chris Davis, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Lawmakers want to move up the deadline for counties to add a critical election security measure to their voting machines. Election security experts widely agree that electronic voting machines should use, quote, voter-verifiable paper audit trails, end quote. 
That's a paper backup that allows counties to conduct post-election audits and helps voters check that they're casting their ballots for who they intended. Julia Vaughn is the policy director for Common Cause Indiana. Her organization has long pushed for those backup systems. Hoosier voters who use DRE machines have been waiting long enough for this technology, so we need it sooner rather than later. Right now, there are about 8,000 DRE, or direct recording electronic voting machines, that can use those backups in Indiana across dozens of counties. More than 60% of them still need the paper trails. Current law says counties have until 2030 to get the paper backups. Now, lawmakers want to move that deadline up to July 2024. The bill's author, Republican Representative Tim Wesco, says he's been assured the state will provide money to counties to get that done. The expected cost is around $12 million. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. You'll vote in November for local school board members. Network Indiana's Eric Berman reports a bill in the Indiana House would put the candidate's party on the ballot. School board races are nonpartisan, but Union City Republican J.D. Prescott says listing a party affiliation would give voters more information. School board members were united against the bill at a House committee hearing. Spencer Owen County board member Derek Morgan says the fact the race is nonpartisan was part of the reason he ran. My allegiance is not to a political party but rather to the students in my classroom and in the community as a whole. The switch to partisan school board races in Indiana elections will ultimately create an unneeded conflict. The committee has until Tuesday to vote on the bill. Eric Berman, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Local school boards will be forced to take public comment by a bill approved by an Indiana House committee Wednesday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brendan Smith reports the measure requires at least three minutes per person of public testimony at every in-person meeting. The original bill would have required public comment at meetings of the governing body of any state or local public agency, like city and county councils. But a change in committee limited the bill to just school board meetings. Bill author Republican Representative Tim O'Brien says it's good public policy. This allows for the school board to take reasonable steps to maintain order in their meetings, including the removal of any person who is willfully disruptive in the meeting. Contentious school board meetings over the last year saw some boards limit or restrict public comments. No one from the public testified on the bill. It passed unanimously, now heading to the full House. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Brandon Smith at the State House. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Before the pandemic, church attendance was dropping in the U.S. One study shows that while large churches continue to grow, smaller congregations are shrinking. Benza Boutier reports that some small churches have had to make difficult decisions hastened by the pandemic. Grammar Presbyterian Church opened its doors in 1907, but in November 2021, it held its final service. Amy Artis had served as the church's pastor since 2015. 
The congregation dwindled to three members this fall, making it hard for her to justify remaining open. It was difficult. As a pastor, you feel like you should stick with the church to help them, to be there for them. Artis says while the pandemic hastened its closure, the church had been struggling to keep its doors open for a while. Too often churches just get to the point where they find themselves ignoring the change. That's what happened, I think, at grammar. They just, the change around them with the pandemic, they couldn't get their mind around it. They couldn't see any, any light at the end of the tunnel. The congregation had made efforts to increase its numbers. They got computers for an after-school study program and tried to start a food pantry. But efforts like these take volunteer numbers that smaller churches don't have. And Artis says as more people move to cities, retaining members and attracting new ones isn't easy. The 2020 U.S. Census shows that while counties in central Indiana saw population increases, some rural counties saw population drops as large as 5% in the last decade. Artis still preaches on Sundays at Scipio Presbyterian Church, about five miles from Grimmer. She says Scipio absorbed a couple of Grimmer's old members, but it's also felt the effects of the pandemic. She says Scipio Presbyterian had an average Sunday attendance of about 22 in June 2019, and it's dropped to 16 as the pandemic's gone on. Small churches can be more open to things than large churches, but they can also be very steeped in tradition. Deanna Howard had been a member at Scipio Presbyterian for 35 years. She says the congregation feels like family to her. I walked in the door here and people started talking to me right away. Um, Asked me to sit with them. I thought, I think I found the place where I need to go (laughs) Uh, that first Sunday. Artists says part of the challenge in getting new members is that people have certain needs in mind when they look for a church. Arthur Farnsley isn't surprised to hear the pandemic's created challenges for small churches. People are interested in programs for the elderly, for teens, for their children, for schools, daycares, recreational programs. When you get to really big congregations, they've got jazzercise and Pilates. He says when smaller churches close their doors, it affects the community at large, especially in more rural areas. Congregations fill a giant hole in the social safety net. They have clothing pantries. Even small congregations have food pantries. Uh, They are networks that can be mobilized when somebody needs help. But he cautions against sounding alarm too early and says things typically happen more slowly in institutions as old as churches. Artis says even if the Scipio congregation can't grow in numbers, they still want to find ways to serve the community. Recently, they've given money to different causes, like equipment for a local playground, an animal rescue, and the historical society. The Scipio congregation is meeting this weekend to talk about its options for the future. I think if you have more than two people together, you're going to have two, more than two opinions. You know, you know we're trying to, to come to a consensus of you know, what What is the church? What is the most important thing? Artis says the key to their survival will be willingness to adapt and receptiveness to change. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Ben Taboutier. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Who's regionally speaking host Chris Nolte with a conversation with Marcus Martin of Grace Beyond Borders, Northwest Indiana.
Brother Marcus Martin is with the Grace of Beyond Borders organization here in Northwest Indiana. We've talked before on the situation of homeless here in Northwest Indiana and Lake County in particular, and this time about the upcoming count that's ordered by the feds, actually, held by the state of Indiana, to count the number of homeless. Uh, Brother Martin, thanks for joining us on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thank you for inviting me. Since we had an opportunity recently to talk with Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch about the need for volunteers to uh, help do the count of the homeless population in Indiana, including Northwest Indiana, on January 26th, many people here in the region seem to hear the word homeless, and they seem to automatically associate it with the Lower Wacker Drive in downtown Chicago. But will you talk about the number of the shocking number, actually, of the homeless uh, that are around uh, not only Northwest Indiana, but in shelters, but also unsheltered in particular, all of the community members right here in the region. You know, recently, two weeks ago, I was in Munster uh, near one of the hospitals because I had received a report of a homeless woman living in a tent in that area. So I went out to that location to check it out. Homelessness is all around us and it's not as visible always as it is, like you said, in in Lower Wacker Drive. In the smaller cities, homelessness is going to be more invisible in terms of the average citizen. Of course, with my work over the last nine years, uh, we spend a lot of time on the street. So we see homelessness 365 days out of the year. We're observing, we're speaking with, we're communicating with and helping and assisting those who are willing to make a change. So homelessness is no stranger to us, and we see it all over uh, Lake County, and we receive calls throughout northwest Indiana, and even, unbelievable, we receive a lot of calls from the Chicagoland area and suburbs, people looking for beds looking for help. Since we talked recently, uh, you had an opportunity, of course, to, to get caught up on uh, through Grace Beyond Borders uh, of the work that you're doing. When you tell us about uh, the organization, for folks that are not familiar with Grace Beyond Borders, will you talk a bit about uh, uh, the organization, how you got started, and what you've been able to do in, in recent years up to and probably including now, since we're all facing the, the issues uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic? Thank you. Yes, I spent, let's see, 2001 was my initial uh, introduction into the homeless population in Chicago through my church. Mm -hmm. I became a volunteer with the outreach ministry there, and so working with the homeless population there, I began to look in northwest Indiana. And in 2013, we launched Grace Beyond Borders, NWI to begin working with the homeless population, uh, primarily in East Chicago, and then also neighboring cities. And it was there that we began to be exposed to the number of homeless individuals who were out here and in different circumstances, sleeping in their vehicles, sleeping in abandoned buildings, vacant apartments with friends, couch surfing from place to place sleeping behind businesses. One woman would park her car behind a business, and because there was an outdoor outlet, she could actually uh, plug her portable heater in her vehicle and also charge her cell phone. And she remained invisible, but that's how she survived. 
And when we look at those situations, we realize that those numbers begin to grow as people learn that there are agencies who are helping individuals, so they begin to call. And this year alone, we've had over, at the end of September, we had over 200 calls from a lot of different agencies, county and local departments, hospitals, looking for beds for individuals. So... This is what we work with, and this is the population that we have been working with. Again, this is our ninth year of operation. Would you speak to the true need for resources, which include shelters, but we're talking as well about uh, rehab facilities, as well as the the issue of, of getting enough food, clothing, and stable housing for folks here in northwest Indiana? Yes. Uh, during the pandemic, there was a release of dollars for hotel vouchers, and a number of the homeless were able to find relief mm-hmm. in safe places uh, during the pandemic, 2020 primarily, of uh, course. And But there came a time when the hotel vouchers were no longer available, and but people were looking for them. Hey, they wanted to continue and then realize that that was not, uh, that was just a temporary relief. So you run into that problem and that, a lot of people didn't seek resources during the time they were in the hotels. They they just kind of moved from place to place. So what we're dealing with, and and for example, with individuals that we are, we work with our partners. We have to collaborate because of the resources needed for individuals that, that may vary. This Sunday, I spent an hour on the phone with a woman who has three children, who's actually staying at one of the homeless shelters, but then there's a time limit and she was concerned because she didn't know where to go and she didn't have any secured housing opportunity uh, she had put in applications she was on waiting lists her children were in uh, uh, in school all of them are in school and then they would spend the uh, after school at the uh, boys and girls club so she had that's secure, but she could not, she was working also a part-time job, but she could not find housing. That's the type of situations that are going on. And then you have the individuals who uh, need the mental health care. And oftentimes uh, they can, you know, they get the medicine that they may need, but who's there to make sure they're taking it. And also when they run out of uh, dollars then they can't continue so it's very unstable when individuals are outdoors and not in a place where they can receive some day-to-day assistance and help. And that's the reality. And the number of homeless out are just way overwhelming in terms of the bed availability. We're talking with Brother Marcus Martin, who has the organization called Grace Beyond Borders, NWI. Now, the last time we had a chance to talk, I recall that you were looking into trying to rehabilitate a building to provide some temporary housing. Will you bring us up to date on that project? Uh, Thank you, yes. Uh, You know, the brick-and-mortar side of that is pretty much uh, taken care of with equipment. You know, we're we're in a silent uh, phase of a capital campaign to raise the dollars for the operational costs, you know, on the human side of staffing and moving that forward. And then immediately after that, we have another property that was gifted to us that we want to begin looking at for another place for uh, men and for community 
uh, events. For anybody who's interested in volunteering uh, with your organization, Grace Beyond Borders, or making a donation, as you mentioned, you're in the uh, the silent uh, phase of the projects right now, uh, how can they reach out to you? Certainly, uh, one way is they can call uh, 219-392-9932. That's our business number, and I'm, I can be reached that way, Marcus Martin. And also uh, through email, my uh, first name and um, la- uh, first initial of my last name, that's Marcus M. at Grace Beyond Borders, plural, dot O-R-G. Well, Brother Martin, thank you for the information. And uh, since we know now that the the, uh, next count in place is coming up on January 26th, uh, are you and some of your volunteers that you work with, uh, with uh, Grace Beyond Borders, going to be out there and and helping count uh, the homeless and and get that information in? Yes, we always like to partner with um, Continuum of Care and um, working with it because it's so important and it's so needed. And again, we, we are out there 365 days a year, so uh, the, the one day is something that we certainly uh, will be no stranger to and certainly involved with. Brother Marcus Martin is uh, with the organization here in northwest Indiana called Grace Beyond Borders NWI. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Marcus, for being with us to bring us an update on the projects that you have going within the organization and uh, knowing that you're going to be out there helping, uh, along with many other volunteers in the region, count the number of homeless here in northwest Indiana. And we hope to have a chance to have you back on again with an update soon. Thank you very much for today. I appreciate you, Chris. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to uh, share what's going on from our uh, Grace Beyond Borders perspective. And uh, you certainly have a great, great day, and I pray you have a safe and uh, a healthy 2022. Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte can be heard each Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org where you can also find podcasts of the show when you click on the program link. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by by binsound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm D. Dotson.